This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 11th, 2018, episode 2013. Good morning, Horse World. Well, the Hit'em crew is out and about today, so sit back and enjoy this Endurance with Karen Chatton gem from the Hit'em Audio Vaults. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday... And it doesn't get much better than best conditioned. And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off a Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning. Happy New Year to all of the endurance riders out there. Hi, Karen. Hi, good morning. Well, you know, California, where you live in Nevada, gets rain about once every 10 years. And (laughs) uh, you've done you're in that now. We are. We've had a lot of rain. We've got flooding. We've got the Carson River that is going to be um, reaching flood stage and I guess cresting today. It's going to reach its peak around eight o'clock this morning. And right now it's six in the morning Does here. That mean by the time the show's over, you're floating away. Somebody could be. Yes, they've had we've had on the news. They've been showing some of the residents like up in Reno um, cruising around their neighborhood in canoes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is incredible because the ground gets so hard from not having rain for so long that uh, it just all washes off and then it becomes a really a real big mess. Well, what happened is it was kind of a warm storm with a lot of rain that followed a snowstorm. So it melted a lot of the snowpack, which then all flows into all of the watershed in the area, which ends up coming down into our rivers, which then rise up and go um, into or above the flood stage. And if you're in that path, then you're going to flood. And unfortunately, that's happened. The news did a pretty good job of preparing us for it. And of course, people have learned from previous floods. So people had been sandbagging for days and getting prepared. And just um, overall, I think everybody was prepared. There's been damage, but so far, no loss of life. You know, nothing that's the that's been, you know, a huge amount of damages just because I think everybody was a little better prepared for it this time. You know, this is the time when you, every time you go hiking out in Nevada or out in that, that area, they always say, do not hike in the washes because this is a flash flood. If there's a flash flood from a thunderstorm way up river that you don't even see, you could get washed away. And apparently hikers do every year. Uh, you, know, you you would be floating now for till till you got to the Pacific, probably. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's kind of funny. We're uh, my husband and I are both from California. We live in Nevada. But in the last year, we We've had 
um, fires, floods, and earthquakes. Yeah, that's true. You got <laughs> just like <laughs> we haven't talked to you since you had those pretty big earthquakes here recently. Exactly down in Hawthorne, we did that. It was. I mean, that was near of, your house. <laughs> it, was, it was near enough that we felt it for sure. I yeah. mean, the dogs were all up. Everybody was definitely on alert. That, definitely. Did you? Felt did those. anything fall off and break, or was the whole house shaking? Were you sleeping at the time? I've never been in an earthquake, so tell us about it. Oh gosh, yes, it was like you know midnight, just after midnight. And at first, I, you know, because we have a bucket of water in the shower and one of our dogs is a little bit of a clod and she'll turn around and bang into the shower doors. And so we just thought, oh, that's just the dog getting a drink of water. And she hit the shower doors because they were rattling. And then pretty soon we realized, no, that's the whole house moving. <laughs> Why do you keep a bucket? See, now you caught me on the bucket of water in the shower. Why do you keep a bucket of water in the shower? Uh, for so they can drink. Oh, for the, the dog's water for drinking. And then yes. that way they don't spill it all over the house. I get it. Okay. Yes. Got it yes. Now. Because right. in the in in our climate, you really don't want them going in and out all the time. Plus, if the water's outside, it's gonna freeze unless you treat it like horse water and put a heater in it. So um we keep water inside the house for them as well as outside. Wow. Well, well, we wish uh, you you the best out there and everybody in California. I mean, the tree with the hole in it fell down uh, and there's all kinds of flooding. And of course, that's leading to mudslides. And yeah, it just welcome to California. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Makes horse ownership a lot of fun, too, because, you know, now we've got we're going to have mud for quite a while after this much rain and then the snow melting. And so we're going to be dealing with trying to keep our horses um, clean enough to be able to actually do something with them. (laughs) Can I just say, and I don't know if Jennifer will agree with this or not, but, you know, there's a lot of advantages to living in Florida. You know, the disadvantages (laughs) of the big bugs and the snakes and the alligators, but uh, are the critters. But, you know, everybody thinks a big advantage to living in Florida is the temperature. And that is kind of nice. But one of the things that we think is the biggest advantage is we have all sand, so we don't get mud. So we're not scraping mud off our horses. So as a horse owner, the no mud thing is really nice. Yes, I can see that for (laughs) sure. (laughs) I mean, temperatures are great, but the no mud just makes it all worthwhile. Uh, God, the days of stepping in mud where your shoe would come off and ugh, the game. Oh, my favorite. You suck it in the mud and you take, oh, there went your boot. Ah, Well, you know, and then I have the added benefit of being at elevation in a northern kind of climate so that it'll be muddy and icky and mucky during the day and then it freezes at night. So if I go to try to pick up manure, I basically have to pry it off of the frozen ground after it's been in the mud half of the day. And all those hoof prints and, freeze. So it's just, yeah. it's just one giant field of potholes. Yeah, oh, yes. Right. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> we remember those days and don't miss them. Well, t- coming up on today's show, Karen has an endurance tip for us on longevity. And that's something certainly she knows about with her horses. Uh, and then also you are covering, uh, well, Kristen from Distance Depot is going to be here, but you're also covering a topic today that I that has been briefly mentioned on one of our shows, but in 5,000 some episodes, I don't remember ever having a conversation about ride and tie. So wow. this is new. You did. You got something new in today. We're going to learn all about that. Uh, interesting sport that I will never do because it involves effort. <laughs> 
And then um, 10 o'clock, we have coming up today, we're going to be talking about riding and conditioning in extreme cold and winter conditions. And appropriately enough, you got somebody from Canada to do that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So uh, we'll be talking to her later in the show, too. So good show you got lined up here today. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Terrific. Well, now you... um, you had some things that uh, you wanted to chat about this morning before we get to your endurance tip. Yes, I was going to talk about the new barn camera that we just installed in the last month. Oh, really? And it's really pretty cool. You can I can view live um, on my phone or on my laptop the, the camera any time of day or night because it does infrared. So um, you, I can watch the horses in the dark. Um, and, or during the daytime. And it's been really entertaining watching some of their shenanigans and just kind of watching what they do. You know, like if I leave the locking clip off of the stall door, I mean, Bo will undo the door latch and be out of the stall before I can even get the app open on my phone. You know, (laughs) he's so good at it, but it's, it's just a lot of fun watching him, the stuff they do. Like, Last last night or the night before, it was storming. I mean, it poured rain all night. It never stopped. And the horses maybe came into the barn like two times to check and see if I had put any more food out for them and then left. They hardly spend any time at all inside the barn stalls when the weather's bad. Isn't They're, that funny? They, and, you know, we all pamper our horses because that's because we're humans and that's what we do. And yet the horses, when they have a choice to make, they're out there in the pouring down rain, just eating or doing whatever, you know? So I know it's yeah. so funny. And so I've posted some of the videos on Facebook. I watched and some I, of them. You know what I was it, impressed with <laughs> is the quality of the camera. The, it's like HD quality. It is really nice. It is. And that's on the lowest setting because it automatically will upload, uh, like if it detects motion at all in the barn, it it starts recording and then it automatically uploads it to the cloud. What brand did you get? Um, I, th- it, I think it's Amcrest and I got it from Amazon. Amcrest. And- Yes, and it comes with a free, you know, four-hour storage of the cl- their own cloud. So within about six minutes of the recording, it's now in the cloud. So I can watch that, and it will also send me an email alert so that I know something's going on in my barn, that there's movement. Now, obviously, and, you were able to get Wi-Fi, your Wi-Fi reach to your barn. Yes, That's going to be important, because if it doesn't, you, you're not going to get anything uploaded. Exactly. But you can also, for some people, if they have a power source, they can add a signal extender if if it's a little bit too far away. Well, this is really cool. And I'm really, really impressed with the pictures. What the whole thing run you? 139. That's all? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Oh wow, expecting yeah. 600 bucks. Now, it doesn't have it doesn't have uh, a receiver in the house. Your receiver is your phone, right? Right. You yep. you just okay. add the app, you can add it to your phone, tablet, computer. I've even got like one morning I got up and my husband was on his laptop and he says, "Wait till you see Bo." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" Well, you'll see. And of course, I go out there and he's covered in mud. (laughs) So it's like even my husband is looking, checking in on the horses now. (laughs) 
Well, which reminds me, speaking of checking in on horses, I wanted to tell everybody at the top of the show here today, everybody's on baby watch with Jamie, whose horse is having a baby. And, you know, she's been obsessing over it on the show for the last two weeks uh, because the the fault or the mare is due any time now. So I checked this morning when I got up. She also has a baby cam. And uh, oh, unfortunately, cool. there's like no bandwidth. So if she's watching it, I can't get on and vice versa. So, Aww. But I did check when I got up this morning and there was no baby. So just to let everybody know, there was no baby yet. We're still on baby oh. watch. She okay. was convinced it was going to come about three weeks ago. So <laughs> mom is oh, no. not even due till next week, I don't think. But, you know, oh, bears okay. always look like they're about to pop for about a month. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and then uh, then they finally do. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> so that's anyway. That's the update. Yeah, that's a great camera. Terrific. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, and then you, we also had a congratulations to somebody we've had on the shows over the years, even before you were coming on. We had Doctor Meg Sleeper on. Right. Uh, she was awarded the USCF uh, 2016 Maggie Price Endurance Excellence Award. And Kelsey Russell won the USEF 2016 Brunges Junior Young Writer Trophy Award. So congratulations to those two. Yeah, congratulations to both of them. You know, Meg's been on the show. She's terrific. And she's competed internationally everywhere. I mean, everywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She's She has done really well. And she's been a really terrific guest to have on the show a few different times that we've had her. Now, you've started, and this is a topic that comes up regularly here because Jamie started watching it, but you also started watching Heartland, right? I have started watching Okay, Heartland. now let me clarify that you have some bitches about Heartland and to send your emails to karenchatton at shedoesncare.com. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> all right, so let's clarify that I don't want the emails uh, if if you offend anybody that absolutely loves Heartland. You know, we had the writer you know, of Heartland on a little while back, and she was a delightful lady. But all right, so okay. go ahead. You know, I think they do a pretty good job overall. You know, and you can't really nitpick because you know it's just you know it, it's it's pretty good family type entertainment but a couple of the things that stand out to me one of them is the stirrups they will have they'll ride up somebody rides up on a horse and gets off and it could be like a little kid and then next thing you know this big tall man gets on the same horse like in the same scene 30 seconds later and rides off they never adjust the stirrups. <laughs> see, now only a true horse person would ever notice that. <laughs> well, see, and, and that kind of ties in with the riding tie people because, you know, they kind of need to work on um, where both of the riders sharing the one horse doing a riding tie uh, need to have their stirrups adjusted so it works for both of them, you know, because they're not going to want to take the time that. to adjust the stirrups. Yeah. But this is a television show and they spend plenty of time you know, talking and, you know, in the scenes where somebody could at least once in a while show him adjusting a stirrup, for God's sake, you know? Do the stirrups just magically change in the next the yeah. next close-up shot? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's funny. <laughs> they do. And then the other thing, because it's like, I mean, there's a, a, a fairly good-sized family of people, and they often have company and guests, and they're running a dude ranch. But whenever the character Lou comes back from going into town and shopping, she pulls out like a half a gallon of milk. (laughs) 
And she has two or three <laughs> little cloth bags of stuff that have almost nothing in them. I'm like, you know, me and my husband go to Costco and it takes us half an hour to unload everything, you know. <laughs> I mean, we, we come back, we've got two gallons of milk. We've got all this other stuff. And these guys are feeding all these people. And it's like, where's all their food coming from? Because, you know, they, yeah. I mean, I understand they probably do raise some of their own food, but it doesn't look like they have a dairy or toilet paper. Have they ever bought toilet paper? Exactly. No. <laughs> that takes up space. <laughs> it's just like, come on, you guys. It's that whole devil in the details. That kind of stuff does take you out of the, it takes you out of the, out of the program. You know, it disconnects you from what you're watching and, you know, I have to make a I have to make a conscious effort. Jennifer has to do this too. We do it with each other. We have to make a conscious effort when we're watching stuff now because I think horse people I don't know. I think horse people are more in tune to details because you're always worried about if your horse is sick. You notice little things, right? And Uh you're always in tune to little things because we're always watching for subtle changes in everything. And (laughs) I so I think when we watch TV shows we're that way. So I'll be nitpicking a lot of the geek stuff. You know, that's what Jennifer's always nitpicking the fake winnies and things like that, where I don't even right. notice them. And, uh, you know, I'm nitpicking the geeky stuff. I We have made a pact now that we can't pick apart TV shows anymore because you just spend the entire hour whining. I mean, about <laughs> picking apart the things that, like, like that's never going to happen. You could have never done that. You know, there's no way that ever would right. happen. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, they had, there was one episode I watched, which totally was like the perfect timing because we had just put the barn camera in and we had the, the videos and we were watching Bo undo the latch and get himself out of the stall doors. Just like, I mean, he was so good at it. And so this episode centered around this horse that kept getting out and they were blaming the new trainer for <laughs> not latching the door properly. Which is what you and then do. They, that is pretty realistic. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so that was kind of funny. And it was just like the perfect timing because we were laughing over it. Just like, y- you know, come on, you guys. It's the horse. It's not the trainer's fault or the, the person that was responsible right, for Karen, putting We got to stop talking TV. We got to get on with the show. All right. So <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> your endurance tip for this month while Jennifer gets our first guest on. Well, to start with, let's congratulate. There were 51 AERC decade teams in 2016. It means that they have ridden the same horse on a 50-mile endurance ride uh, every year for at least 10 years. Oh, wow. That is a long time. And so, yes, yes. And what's interesting, when I first started, because I started, kind of started with the concept and the idea of and I started pulling it together and doing the list of the decade teams originally going back about a dozen years or so there weren't nearly that many every year there was maybe a dozen and then it worked up to maybe two dozen so this has grown significantly it's become one of the most you know sought after recognition type programs that the AERC offers. I talk about and a long-term goal. It takes you 10 years to get to it. <laughs> it is a long-term <laughs> goal and it's very satisfying, you, you know, in order to achieve something like that with your horse, because it shows you, you know, that you're truly a team and that you've worked together. And so my tip was um, just uh, uh, to go into a little bit of detail on how these people, you know, a, a good way to kind of encourage the longevity and to work towards it. I have 
in the past on other shows, I've talked a little bit about how to manage your horse on an endurance ride so that they will, you know, last and hold up and you're, you know, least likely to run into problems and trouble. But one of the things that I think a lot of riders try to skip or maybe they're not aware of, and that's just doing basic groundwork and arena schooling at home. And that is something that is really, really important because a lot of times you'll get to an endurance ride and you'll see in the morning, some of the horses, I mean, they get really excited and they just turn into lunatics, you know, and you'll see people out there lunging them and the horses are flying through the air like kites and, you know, they're not paying attention because they're so wound up and so excited. And so an important way to kind of work through that is to spend the time at home before you ever get to a ride put in your homework do some arena schooling do some groundwork uh, get a trainer get somebody to help you but spend some time you know working with your horse you know putting in the hours doing some of that groundwork um, so that when your horse does turn into a monster you're able to you know deal with it you're going to be able to handle working with your horse and your horse is going to be used to working with you so that you can kind of work through that. Because one of the things that I see people do a lot of is their horse turns into this, you know, Godzilla fire breathing dragon type creature at the start of endurance ride, especially once they see all the other horses leave. And rather than try to, you know, manage the horse and keep it under control, they'll let the horse go. And that almost never works because you're going to end up, you know, hurting your horse. Um, they're going to strain something, pull a muscle or a tendon, end up getting hurt or end up metabolically in trouble because they're so wound up. They're not going to want to drink or eat. You know, they're sweating excessively. So spending the time ahead of time to work with your horse and let your horse, you know, get to know you as well and, and um, you know, in an arena setting really will pay off later. And and so that's an important um, thing to consider. Um, you know, don't just get on your horse and go condition it all the time. There's more involved in getting your horse set up to have a successful, really long-term career, especially if longevity is going to be your goal. What do you see as the, what? what is the thing that, that, um, <clears throat> through lack of preparation, usually knocks horses out. Obviously, tendon injuries, uh, muscle strain, things like that. You know, yes, a lot of people, if they haven't ever paced, it's so easy to get caught up in a group or just to get caught up because your horse is going to be on adrenaline. They're going to want to go, go, go. And so that's where all that time that you've spent, you know, working with your horse trying to go at a consistent speed, uh, you know, learning how to just get your horse to chill out, you know, if you need to pull over and let everybody go by. So you're not getting caught up in the rush. You know, I think probably the most important thing to remember is to ride like you've trained and conditioned. So, so if you know, you've gone out and you've trotted your horse for, you know, say 15 minutes nonstop don't get caught up in an endurance ride and go trot 20 miles to the first vet check without stopping because that's where you're going to run into problems. So you need to really make sure that you're able to, you know, keep your cool, keep your horses cool, you know, focus on what you're doing and, and your goal. And I think that's where the decade teams really uh, having that as a goal 
really helps people because it gives them something to focus on that's a lot more important than just the ride that day. They they have to consider, you know, how what they're doing at that moment is going to affect their horse long term. So letting your horse do its big extended trot is not going to be in his best interest, especially if it's a you know new to the sport kind of horse and you're wanting it to last. You you need to kind of tone it down and take it easy. Sounds sounds correct to me. And you know what? <laughs> you, it, it, I, that's the thing that amazes me the most about these decade teams is the fact that they were able to keep their horses sound for ten years. <laughs> that's that's the that's the amazing thing when you think about it. It um, is, and it's so cool because you know, and it's it's. It kind of almost bittersweet because by the time you do reach decade team status, you know that you you know your horse is going to be by that point at least at least fifteen because they can't do a fifty until they're at least five. So you know it's it's a great reward, but then you also know you probably aren't. I mean, you probably aren't going to have a whole lot of time after that with your horse. But, you, you know, I probably shouldn't be Debbie Downer here. But, you know, I'm riding Chief and he's got 15 years of endurance. So he's done it. He's a decade and a half horse. <laughs> there you go. Well, we have Kristen on here. Let's uh, chat with her a little bit. Of course, Kristen is with the Distance Depot. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Glenn and Karen. Good morning, Kristen. Well, today this morning? we're hanging in there. <laughs> how Good how are you having lots of rain? <laughs> we have, yes, yes, but it's it's turning into snow, so that's even better. Oh boy! <laughs> for the snowpack, we need the we need the right. water, you know, to get us out yes. of this long drought that we've been having here in the West. Right, so, great. so today we're going to talk about your sheepskin. Um, saddle covers and accessories. So tell us a little bit about them and, and where they're made. Okay. Um, we call this brand Sheer Comfort. It's our own brand of seat savers. And um, we make them right here in our shop in Peculiar, Missouri. And they are made out of 100% merino wool. And they're all handmade, hand cut, and um, sewn right here with a really um, cool seam. Um, it's an actual sheepskin machine. It's called a bonus machine, and it's specifically designed to sh sew sheepskin and seams. Um, so it's pretty cool. But we have quite a few different covers available. I think there are about 11 covers that we offer, um, of course, in different um, shapes and sizes. Um, we have three full English covers, a dressage model and an um, all-purpose, and also um, a Wintech Endurance. That's probably our largest cover um, because those saddles are quite big. But they're designed to cover the whole English saddle, so no more pinching if you have English stirrup leathers. Um, <laughs> um, and it makes your, your saddle obviously very comfy because they're uh, uh, one inch thick. So... Um, well, Kristen, that's the thing I saw really about these, uh, especially the one you were just talking about, is that they are, usually you see them just cover the seat. I mean, they're just that, right. you know, they're seat shaped. But you, some of the, yours come down all the way down the flap, too. So they're covering the whole saddle, which I, yep, I, I don't, you don't see a lot. Yeah, it, it protects the saddle and also protects you. Um, 
And and the nice thing about the merino wool is that it keeps you warm in the winter, and because it is wool, um, it also keeps you cool in the summer. Seems kind of crazy, but it works both ways. So um, really nice to have on your saddle. Um, yeah, we have a full western um, cover as well, and that will go all the way down the fender, so it covers your seat area, obviously, and then all the way down the fender to the stirrup top bar. So, um, you know, full coverage on that, too. So no chafing in your Western saddles. And we do, of course, have the um, seat onlys. So we have a Western seat um, for for the Western or endurance-type saddles that will just cover the seat only. There's also a, a um, deluxe Western endurance cover, we call it. So it will go on most of your Western or your endurance-type saddles that have a fender. And it comes about mid-thigh. So not all the way down to the to the bottom of the fender, about halfway down, but um, gives you a little relief from that flap on that Western or endurance saddle that can sometimes catch you about mid-thigh. So pretty nice there. Um, we also have a, a Bob Marshall cover designed specifically for that um, treeless sport saddle that so many riders are using. And a few of the freeform saddles um, that are out there too. So, um, and lots of accessories, the stirrup leather covers if you have a seat only, so you can get the stirrup leather cover to fit pretty much um, any width, your straight one inch um, or one and a half inch English stirrup leather up to, you know, a four inch wide um, fender. So, And what color, what colors do you have these available in? are available in black, a nice dark chocolate brown, and a natural color, um, kind of like a camel color, if you will. We also have, we can do uh, navy blue. So they're all very nice. So you can choose which one works best for for you. Now, um, how about how about care on these? Uh, that question always comes up when it's a sheepskin seat saver. How about what? Care. Caring for it, washing oh, it, care. cleaning it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, well, and I've never washed mine. You can certainly wash them. They can go in the machine. Um, you would want to use something like leather therapy, um, something to keep the, because it is a skin on the back side. Ours actually have like a cheesecloth material over the skin, um, which helps um, protect the saddle. But... Um, you want to use something lanolin-based or very mild, maybe woolite or something like that, um, so that you're keeping that skin um, from drying out. You don't want to use any harsh chemicals. And then just lay out of direct sunlight to dry, um, and you can lightly stretch it while it dries if you are around. Um, but they hold up pretty well, and you can use a little poodle brush, what I call a little poodle brush, a little wire um, <laughs> whisk brush, and just sort of fluff it up. We do that to the saddle pads, the wool saddle pads, too. Um, but that will help if it gets matted down a bit where your leg is or something and you really want to fluff it up. You can do that gently, um, and that will help to fluff up the wool. Well, I understand your new catalog is out for 2017. Yeah, come to our website. There's a request a new catalog button, and you can put in your mailing address, and we'll mail one out or give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349. And, um, yeah, we're pretty excited about this new catalog. It has um, a young writer on the front this year, Annie Whalen, um, from Kentucky on there on her horse. So, it's yeah, it's pretty neat. We're excited about it. 
Oh, good. And what is your website address again? We are www.thedistancedepot.com. And if you're looking for sheepskins, I just went there and just typed in sheepskin and it pulls up all other covers and all of the accessories. Yeah, and we list all the sizes. If you open up each individual product, um, it will tell you the sizes so you can compare your needs to what we have listed there. And if you need something custom, we can do that too because we make them right here. Well, terrific. Thank you for joining us this morning, Kristen. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Kristen. Bye-bye. We just Bye. Had, one of the auditors was just asking about uh, sheepskin covers. So there you go. If you're listening right now, the distancedepot.com, made right here. You can get one made for you. Um, and I'm sure that they have, you know, if you have an odd saddle of some sort, you can. they probably even do drawings of it and send it off and have it made. They're pretty good mm-hmm. about doing that kind of stuff at the Distance Depot. They sure are. <laughs> So when does, uh, I assume there'll be some Florida things happening um, here uh, to get the season started? Um, yes, there's been some rides are starting up in certain regions. You know, the where I am, obviously, probably not for another uh, month or two, um, you know. And then, of course, things are always a little iffy. It's it's tough for, for riders in the northern regions to keep their horses in condition and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit later about working for uh your horse in the in the winter and in the cold yeah i mean you guys have a big disadvantage because you know if you're coming out and you just have to brush up on a dressage test uh you know or something like that it's a little different than when you're coming out and you're going to go on a 50 or 100 mile you know ride so it's a little bit different that way exactly it's and it's tough because not not only you know we've got the shorter daylight but we've also got the weather conditions and then we've got our horses winter coats to contend with right and then some of us have mud <laughs> right some of you have mud. but you know florida i thought i think that the first drives start to happen here in february if i remember right i don't know if they really stop over the winter there yeah you know just they don't need to so you know, so that's that's kind of nice. And a lot of people, you know, like there's um, rides down in Arizona during the winter. And a lot of people from the north will travel down and stay in Arizona for the winter. You know, the snowbirds or whatever they're called for two or three months and do the rides. And then uh, once the rides start back up in the north, they go back. Well, in 5,000 episodes, we have, I don't think, ever talked about this. So I'm excited for your next guest to learn a little bit about it. Right. I have Courtney Kruger on. He is a ride and tie person from the north. I believe he's in the northeast region. And he is going to tell us all about ride and ties. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, start out. Tell us, because uh, Glenn doesn't really know anything about riding. I don't know ties. anything about it. So, I, I thought we knew yeah, everything about sure. the horse world, but uh, apparently we missed something. So tell us. This explain. may be the craziest horse sport there is. Well, first <laughs> of all, it in, a in, lot in of effort, so that puts I'm, me out. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> well, I, I will say before I do that, it, that when I do endurance rides, my body is wrecked a whole lot worse. Then when I do a, a, a comparable ride and tie ride, there's somebody coming on and off the horse that it kind of it, it makes it easier in some ways. But huh. anyway, 
the the sport started in seventy one. Levi Strauss and Company was looking for a sport they wanted to sponsor, and there was this guy named Bud Johns who was one of their public relations uh, people. And rather than finding a sport, he invented a sport, and it was ride and tie. And the whole point is, you have a team of two people and one horse, and you have a course of twenty five or thirty or fifty or even a hundred miles. And you leapfrog back and forth between the the riders and the runners. So the horses typically will go out first, and they'll go out um, uh, the way I do it. We go about a half a mile or so, and you just find a convenient tree, and you tie the horse to a tree. And then the runner comes along behind, finds your horse, and you're not allowed to take somebody else's horse, but you find your <laughs> horse and uh, and untie it and go catch your, your runner. And then you either switch then, which is called a flying tie, or you may go a little further down and, and tie again. Wow. That's, okay, the that's first kind of the basics of it. First thing, Courtney, that strikes me is you got to have a horse that'll tie and stand there while everybody else is running by. That's the first challenge. Cause... That's true. That's true, <laughs> and you do have to train them. But my main horse is Cruz that we use for ride and tie, and he now is such a pro that I jump off him, I tie him to a tree. And actually, lots of times he will kind of just slow up and kind of walk over to a tree when he's kind of ready. It's like, no, 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 we're going a little further, Cruz. Come on. <laughs> but, uh, and I jump off, I tie him to the tree, I always pat him on the neck twice, tell him good boy, and I start running, and I always go, I don't know, 15, 20 yards, and just turn around to look just to make sure he's still attached to the tree, and by the time I've just run that little bit, he has already oriented his body looking down the trail, looking for his runner. He is such a pro. He knows I'm irrelevant now because I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm gone. I'm, I'm going the opposite direction, huh. and so uh, it's amazing how much they learn and, 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 and know. Like I say, he'll, he'll even you know, try to pick trees out for himself because uh, he he knows the sport. How long? He really is. A, it, it's a it's a three person, not the horse and a person, but all three teammates are almost equal. It seems sometimes. How long a races are there? Then, um, when I started, I started with short ones. There's like ten or fifteen miles, and I thought these people are doing twenty five and thirty miles. They're crazy. And then I tried a thirty mile race and loved it. And then uh, Greg Bradner, one of my friends, and and I said, "You need to do back to back thirty mile races." And I said, "You've got to be crazy. There's no way I'm doing that." And I did a, a thirty mile race. And he said, "I'll be your partner the next day." My daughter and I started this together, and so she did the first race. And he said, I'll, I'll be your partner tomorrow. And I got in from that 30-mile race, and I was just beat. And I said, there's no way I can do 30 more tomorrow. And he said, just sit down, have something to eat, rest a little bit. I promise you, you'll be good. And he was right. So typically 30 miles is, is what we do. And, and in the east particularly, I think a little more than in the west, we will do back-to-back ones. So you do 30 miles one day and then 30 the next. But but they go up to a hundred. I've I've not wow. done a hundred mile one. I've not done more than about thirty two or three miles yet. Yeah. Okay. So how long does one? Sorry, Karen. I'm taking over here, but I find that's this okay. How long does one person? <laughs> is there a length of time you kind of work on? You'll go for a mile, three miles. I'll go for a mile, three miles. Or do you kind of communicate that during the race that you know I'm I, I, I'm I'm pushing it here a little bit. Can I ride a little longer? What do you do? Yeah, there's there's different strategies. Typically, the ties are about a half a mile, or some people do it by times. So every every four to six minutes. Oh, so you're changing and, and when a I lot. First started, okay. You are. And when yeah. I first started, I thought this is so inefficient to stop and tie the horse to the tree. But you you kind of keep your runner fresh that way, or I mean, both runners are staying fresh, and you're actually giving the horse some rest as well. And that just seems to really work. The, the, the top teams do not have long, long ties. 
uh, at all. And so in a 30-mile race, you may change 55 or 60 times. Wow. See, that's totally not what I thought. That's <laughs> You're right. Well, you got to be so limber to be getting on and off that quick and that often. Yeah, yeah, it it it's, it, it takes, and that's also where if you've got a good horse, it's wonderful. If he knows, kind of stand there and wait for you to get on, and he kind of knows what's what's happening. So, yeah. all right, so you also don't want a seventeen two hand horse that you need a log to get up on each <laughs> <Ooh>. time. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Little Arabians are really good. Now, have you or your team member ever ran past your horse and missed them? Yes, and that that happens really? rather. <laughs> Often, um, it, oh, you kind of no. get concentrated. Uh, I was I, it, at Big South Fork this last year. Um, my brother-in-law and I were were uh, together, and he went longer on the tie than I thought he was going to go. And so I became convinced that he had missed the the turn that he was still on horseback, but he had missed a turn. And so I just kept running because I was pretty sure he would then come and catch me. And this was a dual endurance race and riding tie. And so endurance people came by, and I happened to ask. You didn't happen to see a horse back there. And they said, oh, yeah, about a quarter mile back, there's a horse tied to a tree. <laughs> oh, no. So I turned around and ran back. Sure enough, he was right there. <laughs> oh, no. Well, do you do anything on your horse's tag to kind of make them stand out, like something really bright or colorful or something? Not really. Uh, some people, I guess, uh, maybe tie some some ribbons or whatever on, but but not really. Now I did in a in a race uh, last year. Uh, our horse is a, um, a, a gray Arabian, and I'm running up a hill, and I see this gray Arabian, and I always call out to him, "Hey, Cruzy, here I come!" and and I'm calling out to him, and I hear a voice behind me, "Don't you get on my horse!" And it was uh, <laughs> Nikki Mutant, what, and, and I, I was just seeing her horse, but I was seeing Cruz. I was ready to be on the horse, and so <laughs> she said, don't you steal my horse. Delirium <laughs> is a problem uh, for taking the wrong Exactly, horses. exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Oh, gosh. So, I mean, I can just, just to sort of see the scenario play out, I could see the two runners coming into the finish, and there's no horse. Yeah. I mean, does that happen? You typically, <laughs> uh, yeah, some. Um, typically, you, you're going to know when there's a problem because if you're if you're switching every half a mile or so, and you've been a mile or a mile and a half, you know there's you know something okay. going wrong and and people help each other out so at one of the races this year a, a rider went past the turn and the runner came came and, and went past and the rider didn't realize his runner was ahead of him and so he tied the horse and so they were both on foot but um an endurance rider came through and i realized what was going on it wasn't my team but i said when you catch this guy running up there tell him that his partner is, is that neither one of them's on the horse you know that somebody's got to go back to the horse now, oh, no. one thing yeah, I did happen? notice watching the videos is that I don't see a whole lot of people in Levi's, so apparently that part <laughs> of it didn't work real well. Uh, but, you know, it's funny you say that. When they started this, Levi's had prize money. There's no prize money in it now. And they would double the purse if you wore Levi's the whole way. But I cannot imagine Chafing. running and riding <laughs> in, in Levi's, Levi's for 50 miles or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I can't uh, either. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> now, is this a... I can see families getting into this. Are there a lot of families involved? Oh, let me tell you, I was I was just kind of the, the horse husband. I had no interest in horses uh, whatsoever. I, what we did early on when my wife and my daughter had, started with horses was I would ride a mountain bike and they would ride the horses when we just got for a ride and we'd use multi-use trails. 
and and I had no interest in 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 riding horses. And then I started running some, and my wife found riding tie, and my daughter was about fifteen. And she said, Dad, I'll start running if you'll learn how to ride, and let's do riding tie together. Well, your 15-year-old daughter says, you know, <laughs> let's do this together, and no doubt. And I have felt bad and said this lots to my wife over the years. I kind of took her sport away from her. She was an endurance uh, rider and still is. Um, but really, she's kind of sacrificed her career to let me do this riding tie. First, it was me and my daughter, and my daughter's in college now, and so I'm, I'm using different partners mostly. Uh, now, but my, my wife has now become in the East Coast. They call her the riding time mom because she just kind of cruises for everybody and takes care of everybody, and and so it's absolutely a, a family affair. Not just for us, but lots of families. Uh, the number one team for several years running man woman team are Dave and Rhonda Venable, and they're married, and and there are other married couples and and um, fathers and daughters and and brothers and fathers and sons and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's a great family thing. I can see that. Well, I can see where that this this would be the kind of thing yeah. that uh, your teenager could get into actually doing something with dad. Uh, that's right. That that's they could right. tolerate. And we have <laughs> Karen and Madeline Isaacs. Madeline started riding tie, I think, at about four. And uh, her mom, Karen, did it with her. And, and she she would never tie the horse and leave Madeline out there running on the course by herself, of course. But but Madeline is six or seven now, I guess, and has over 100 riding tie competitive miles and, and also is, is a great endurance rider. Um, and so <laughs> some of them start way, way early. <laughs> I think I saw her picture in one of the videos you showed. Uh, you, you probably did, yeah. yeah. And, her yeah. Little pink and I think maybe they were... They may have been on the cover of the endurance uh, newsletter recently too, or or inside it. I think. Well, now does this have yeah. the same kind of rules as endurance riding with the vet checks and everything? Yes, very similar. As a matter of fact, the first race, a, a couple of horses died because they didn't do a good job of of monitoring the horses, and the the guy that was the equine vet for the president, I believe, by Strauss, happened to be a part of that race, and he called the guy the president, and he said, you're going to get all kind of negative press about this because these horses died, but I can fix this. If we use endurance rules and and really work on, on protecting the horses, we can't let this sport die. Please try to weather this, this bad storm, and, and let's, let's keep going. And so it's the only real difference between ride and tie and endurance is that there are no holds at the vet checks for the horses, the, and the assumption is that they're tied to the trees enough that they're getting some rest out there on the course. And so we come in, and as soon as we get the pulse down and, and run through the, the vet check, we can go back out as soon as we're ready. We don't have to wait uh, for the hole. But other than that, it's exactly the same. The criteria is usually the same. Of course, that's always up to the vets, but it's usually the, the same criteria. Karen, are you ready to start running, too? But there are no vet checks for the humans. (laughs) Are you ready, Karen? I'm I'm not sure. I don't see the point in getting off of a sound horse (laughs) that many times. (laughs) I have more endurance friends who say, why would you tie a perfectly good horse to a tree, get off of him, and run away from him? (laughs) That's like most pilots uh, say, I'm never parachuting. That just doesn't make any sense. You know, I might give one a try. I know that there's there are many of them in Northern California. So, um, so tell us, Courtney, if somebody wanted to learn more about Ride and Tie or where they could find one, uh, where would they go? What's the website address? The red website is rideandtie.org, 
and that would be a great first stop. There also is a Ride and Tie Facebook page that gets lots and lots of action, and a lot of people ask questions about, I'm a newbie, just just last week there was something on there about tack and wanting to know how people did stirrups and wearing running shoes with stirrups and that kind of thing. And um, there's also is an East Coast Ride and Tie folks uh, uh, website for those of us who are ever on the East Coast. Yeah, I'm looking, and uh, I was just looking at the schedule, and there's a bunch of stuff starting on the East Coast in March. Uh, so there is a, and that's early. It used to start around uh, around April, but uh, yeah, that March four ride. I'm turning fifty this year, and so I'm going to try my first fifty mile uh, riding tie uh, uh, on that on March fourth. Oh, wow. so I've been I've been out trying to run a lot lately, and my wife's trying to get our horse in condition. It's another way. That's a family thing for us. Is is she does lots of the conditioning. Because I, I've got to, I've got a condition of my own body as well as be ready to ride. <laughs> and that ride's called Take <laughs> No Prisoners. Forward. So at fifty, <laughs> you're running fifty. Yeah. That's pretty. You pretty much won't be taking any prisoners. Uh, that's right. Yeah. That's, it's at the King's Mountain Battlefield, a big revolutionary battle. I think that's why they're they're naming it. That. Well, you could have snow and ice in March there. Uh, <laughs> you could. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Wow. Well, it's not like Karen's yet. Good. Y'all are having awful weather, aren't you, right now? We have been, yeah, yeah. Uh, rains yeah. and floods, and now it's turning to snow. Um, there's been avalanches and floods and I've earthquakes all that, yeah. and all sorts of stuff we've going had, on out well, here. Yeah, we've had avalanches, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the Chattanooga area. We got about a quarter inch of snow last week and paralyzed everything, of course, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> here in the south. That much, huh? <laughs> This is yeah. very cool. You kind of remind, you know, it's a, it's just got a little bit of everything in it. It's very cool. I can see this being very becoming very popular. I don't know why why you think people haven't heard about it yet. Come here, quiet. I don't know, but the one thing I would want to say about it, it is not as hard as it sounds. I know it sounds like you've got to be some ultra athlete to do this, but you really don't, particularly the shorter races, but even even the longer ones. It there's something about riding the horse and getting off and running and riding the horse and getting off and running that you never get worn out so badly that, that you can't just kind of keep going. And, um, and like I said, when I've done longer, well, I've, I've only done limited distance endurance races, but when I'm really riding hard and I do a hard 30 as an endurance race, uh, my body is a whole lot more wrecked than when I do a hard 30 on riding tie. And I guess it's just you're changing what you're doing. Your body isn't having the same thing over and over and over. Well, you're kind of using different muscles, too, so that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's very cool. Rideandtie.org is where you can find information. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yes, thanks, well, thank Courtney. Thank you guys and, so much as well. Yeah, and good luck on your upcoming 50. All right. All right. Thank you. I just made my body hurt thinking about it, actually. Oh. <laughs> I'm 54. I'm there with you. Good luck. All right. All right. All right. Take Thank care, you. Courtney. Nice. Bye-bye. Bye, Does, I can see there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I know the auditors pretty well because they're always talking in the auditor room. I can see some of the auditors that run. I know a lot of them are runners that could get into this. This would be a lot of fun for them. Well, sure. And the nice thing is, is you just need one horse. So every single person, like on an endurance ride, has their own horse. So that's now true. you just need to partner up with somebody that's already got the horse and you're good to go. That's you just try to find someone that's about the same height as you. So, you know, you don't got to be adjusting stirrups. <laughs> now, the one thing they're still going to want to use, though, is their renegade hoof boots, aren't they? 
They sure do. Yes, definitely. And we use them all the time in endurance riding and trail riding. They're very, very popular. Made in the United States in Arizona. They come in several different colors, so you can match them to your tack. They have a couple different models based on your horse's hoof measurements and shape. So if you need any help, go to renegadehoofboots.com. And they have sizing charts there. They list the colors. They uh, have uh, links to videos on YouTube that show how to properly fit the boots. Um, they're Can you very use easy those to in the use. Yes, you should. Yes, you can. They okay. typically have really good tread and they work well in the snow. Uh, you know, um, I tend to not ride when it's like hard ice because it doesn't really matter what's on your right. horse's feet. If the ground is solid ice, it's going to be ice slippery. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and so and we also have videos from last week with the cars just sliding off the side of the road sideways. You know, oh, I yeah, know. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so, um, but yeah, it's fun to ride in the snow and, and the boots are great for that. Um, um, you know, uh, they tend to work pretty good in just about any kind of condition. You know, you do have to be really careful if you're coming down a hill real fast and you hit wet grass or something, you're going to want to kind of just slow down. You know, some things are just going to be slippery for horses, regardless of what's on their feet. But for the most part, the boots are better. You know, they add traction. I find my horses are better with the tread of the renegade boots than if they're just barefoot on certain types of footing like especially pavement for example if it's wet or if it's fresh brand new pavement it can be really slick and then i'm always really grateful to have the boots on or on an endurance ride where there's a ton of rocks it, the boots are, are really terrific i've been using them for many years and thousands and thousands of miles now my horses are doing really well in them last year we did the, my two horses did over a thousand miles and they didn't have any pulls or problems or anything like that. And they were using the boots pretty much um, every single ride. Every so often I'll do a section of a ride. If the footing is good, I'll do it barefoot. But for the most part, I'm always using the Renegades. All right. Very good. So that's uh, Renegade Hoof Boots. Uh, check them out online and order your pair today for the spring. Well, we're going to take a little break for a song. We're going to come back and talk about conditioning your horse in the winter from somebody who lives in Canada, which is uh, which is who you want to talk to, not somebody that lives in Florida. So that's coming up in a minute. We've got a little Templeton Thompson for you. Sneak right up on you You don't know what to do And you may not know which way to turn Run, you can run to me I'm always within reach And I'll give you love like you i 
Thompson with uh, with Believe in Me. You can find all of her music at templetonthompson.com. Uh, of course, it is Endurance Day here on Horses in the Morning, and I have a couple of uh, announcements that I wanted to make before we get on with our next guest. The first, Karen, is that the World Equestrian Games Radio Show, the 2018 WEG Show on the Horse Radio Network, will be starting this week. You'll hear Yay. the first episode. Uh, Samantha and I are recording it tomorrow. You'll play the first one this weekend. And of course, endurance is part of the World Equestrian Games, and we'll be talking about endurance in those episodes coming up. We'll be following. Yes, and I, and I'm planning on having our, uh, is it called the Chef de Keep yep. for the endur- U.S. endurance team on yep. the show next month? Okay, good, good. So we're going to, we, on this show for all the endurance fans, we're going to be following the WAG in all the different disciplines. There's, there's seven of them. So we'll be following all of them. And That's one so of the exciting. things that we did with the 2010 radio show when we did it for the wagon Lexington was we had a highlight or spotlight rider for each discipline. We pick somebody who's up and coming, who's never been to a WEG before, and we follow their progress and training and qualifying and all of that through the wagon. And if they make it to WEG, we follow them and we, we have them on and interview them quite often during the competition. So you get to know the people. And some of those people have become that we did in 2010 have gone on to have excellent professional 
careers, and we still talk to him today. So we do some interesting things. We also cover the sport, the rules. What we're trying to do is get people who maybe are familiar with endurance who never have watched carriage driving before, you know, learn about how the carriage part of the competition works. So by the time you're done listening to all the WAG episodes, you understand how each of the discipline works, the rules. We've talked to competitors and and organizers and judges from each of those. So when you're watching WAG on uh, either in person here in, uh, in the Carolinas or you're watching it on TV, you kind of understand and have an appreciation for how everything works and you have somebody to root for. So that's why that's how we set up the show. And Samantha, who hosted the 2010 radio show when we were just babies on the Horse Radio Network uh, way, way back, is hosting it again with me, and we should have a good time. So we're looking forward to doing the coverage of Tryon 2018 coming up. Cool. So that's all going to be starting this week. So we'll look forward to uh, we'll look forward to bringing that to you on the Horse Radio Network as well. You'll be able to find it at horseradionetwork.com. It'll be also be on our app in a couple of weeks at uh, and iTunes and all the usual places. And it's called the 2018 Weg Show. W E G 2018 Weg Show. All right, we are ready for your next guest. All right, I have Crystal Woodhouse, who is the education chairperson for the Ontario Competitive Trail Riding Association in Ontario, Canada, is where she's from. She's been riding endurance since around 2005 and has 2,200 miles. And she is joining us this morning to talk about riding in extreme cold and winter conditions. Well, good morning and welcome to the show, Crystal. Hi, Kara. You know more about me than I do. <laughs> 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 well, I I know you're like one of the clan because we've recently talked and I learned that you do go out and ride when it is freezing cold. <laughs> of course. Otherwise, you know what? My family and my friends would not speak to me if I didn't. <laughs> First people should not not ride for three months at a time. Yes. Is that how long your winters typically are up there? Um, yeah, and I live in southern Canada, and I say, and I say this in a loving way, but we live sort of where I call it wissy winters. We, um, it's only about like zero, okay, so Fahrenheit is minus, or three to minus 14, and lots of snow. So it's pretty reasonable to ride here, and it's only about three or four months of winter. But up in the north, or for anybody in places like Wisconsin or Montana, it's much longer. <laughs> <laughs> but here's about three months, probably. Uh, January, February, March, and some of December, it can be really cold and snowy outside. So are there any conditions that you consider too extreme to take your horse out in? Um, you know what? When I was really young, I lived up um, in <laughs> Yellowknife Northwest Territories, which is sort of, for Americans, you could think of Alaska. And I did ride when it was like minus 40 and minus 50, but I was a teenager. Now I wouldn't. But you know what? Honestly, extreme conditions mostly is more for people. Like, people are just going to hit a, a, you know, a minus 30, and they're just going to go forget it. <laughs> Moving inside <laughs> to the fire. For the horses, the only the really thing for the horses in the cold weather is is the footing. Their lungs are usually okay because they've got big long windpipes, and so they don't typically people worry about that. But I've been riding up north for many decades, and I've never never met a horse with burnt lungs. Um, but the footing is really can stop you from riding. So here, because we get weird weather, it can get freezing rain and rain, and the next day it's minus fifteen and snow. So if there's a lot of ice, that can be a real problem. But if you if you still want to ride, you can put you know 
know, Clarkson shoes or the um, ice, you know, they've got the ice um, things that go on the boots. Uh-huh, the studs. Into, like, mm-hmm. boots and stuff like that. But, yeah, for sure. And, my, and yeah, anyone in really extreme cold, is they know you can ride when it's minus 40. So, actually, the good thing about that is your footing is better because the snow is, um, like, the, the Inuit have 40 different terms for snow, <laughs> and that <laughs> is actually what will affect the winter riding. So if it's nice, fluffy snow, your horse can plow through it. It's all good. If it's, um, if it's you've got a huge layer of ice and your horse is breaking through, it's, you know, if you've got half an inch of ice on top of that snow, you sort start, of start worrying about their, their legs getting cut up. If they're going through really deep snow, you probably wouldn't do that for three hours because it's really hard on their tendons. Right. So you probably ride last, but that's not a bad thing because it's minus 20. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of gear yeah, do you do you ride in when you get yourself ready to go out? Um, well, this year I found the miracle of, I've got for Christmas, insulated uh, warming, like they're insulated insoles for your boots and they're warm by batteries. And I've only used them for two weeks, but so far I love them. And they go into my winter boots, and then you just recharge them at night. And for sure, when it's cold, you'd have, like, some really good quality long johns on and then some sort of fleecy riding pants and then maybe your snow pants. You'd have, like, I love alpaca socks on my feet. You've got layers of clothes on top as well, something that's going to wick away. That's a good word when it's really cold. You need wicking things. And then long turtlenecks and vests, maybe down vests and then a coat. And, and then now they have these really great uh, fleecy covers for your helmet. So they go around your helmet and they like tie up or, you know, Velcro in front of you. So they sort of get your chin. They're kind of like a little scarf. And someone this uh, year, year on Green Beans mentioned goggles. I don't know why I've never even thought of that, but goggles from where, you know, from skiing and snowmobiling and things. Uh-huh. So goggles, if it was really cold, is a really good idea because <laughs> it protects your face. You know where you get the ice cream headache? Well, you get just an outside <laughs> wind headache, right? And that it is a, the, the worst feeling in the world. So um, you either have to wear a balaclava and you have to come from a really cold place to know what a balaclava is. So if you know what that uh-huh. is. <laughs> you, it, you or a skier. Yes, yes. And so you're kind of yeah, dressed okay, up so, like, yeah, like the Michelin man. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so this is the time when if you have a, a, a horse you're a bit afraid of riding or a new horse, just get on it now. <laughs> you're just going to slide off into two feet of snow and you've got 15 pounds of clothes on, so you're totally safe and Protected. Fine. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's actually another funny thing about winter riding is it's like the worst thing in the world to have to get off. <laughs> you're on a trail and there's a tree. To, you just stare at it for a really long time and try to figure out how to get around it or over it or something without getting off because getting back on is going to be like a a Herculean effort. It's going to be almost impossible. So, and that's the other thing. You don't want tall horses because it's harder to get under trees with tall horses. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And to get on on in the wintertime with all that clothing, you want to stay on top. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Exactly. So, so tell us a little bit when you come back from riding, how do you take care of your horse? Karen, you broke it up. Okay, uh, let me try again. If when you come back from riding, just say it was really cold, f- below freezing. Huh? What what would you do to take care of your horse? Oh, I can't hear you. I don't know if you can hear me, but you're broken up. I don't know why we're in the middle of a big snowstorm. I don't know if that would. Um, huh. Why don't we, uh, Jennifer? If you're there, why don't we see if we can uh, get her oh, back? There you are. Are you back? 
You did get me back. You got me back. Okay, good. Good. Okay, Glenn, were you able to hear me? Is that your father? We're in a big snowstorm. Yeah, no, I was Karen, so I think she wasn't hearing us. Uh, So go ahead and ask again. Okay, one more time. <clears throat> if you come back from writing and it's been no, below you're breaking freeze, up, I can't hear you. Oh, okay. Well, um, well, Glenn, you ask her the question. <laughs> uh, so, what was the question, Karen? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I see our calls. I think are dropping on Skype a little bit. The question is, if she comes back from riding and it's been freezing cold, what she does to take care of her horse? Uh, what you do to take care of your horse when you come back from riding and it's been freezing cold? Do you do anything special? Oh, I think we've completely lost everybody at this point. No, you came back again. <laughs> Every time you say that, you get me back. You're magical. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're having issues here that I don't know that we're going to be able to fix, Karen. So, um, and actually, I think that we just lost the whole Colin studio. So, <laughs> I think at this point, we're going to have to wing it. Uh, so, did, okay. so, what do you do uh, as far as riding and training into winter? Me, myself, you know, I'm not going to go out when it's minus 40 or 50. I'll tell you that much. Um, You know, maybe like she said, like Crystal said, when she was younger, you know, we do things just uh, uh, it's fun then. But as we get older, we're not uh, quite as inclined to go out, uh, you know, for us. Like she says, it's more a human issue with riding in the really cold temperatures over the horses because the horses tend to do fine. Uh, The thing I have to be really careful of is that I don't bring a really wet, sweaty horse back to the barn uh, right before it's getting dark and the sun is setting down because they're going to be you know, wet, it's going to take them hours and hours to dry. So I try to do a long cool out period when I'm coming back in and then uh, cover them with like a fleece and then a blanket until they're dry. And then I always try to make sure their hair is brushed out and fluffed up so that it insulates them and keeps them warm. Well, and, I, think, uh, you know, I think you guys probably covered it about all. And, and you know, the other obviously big thing to worry about is ice balls. Uh, in in the feet. Yes, uh, my horses will come in sometimes, and they're like four to six inches taller <laughs> because right. of the ice balls in their feet. It's like they're walking on stilts. Well, you know. Do you guys carry if you go out if you are riding? I know there's a lot of the people that do snow during and stuff. Do they go out with with hoof picks and and clean out the ice balls on a regular basis? You know, I'm not really sure. See, that is one of the benefits of using the hoof boots is that they will keep the ice balls from forming. Um, and I know other people do stuff like they'll spray Pam on the bottom of their feet, but that only that works only for works so some. long. Yeah, we always yeah. try that too. And it will work for a while, but for the most part, it just fizzles out then and starts to get icy. So. Right, right. And so, you know, I had talked to, to Crystal yesterday and we were kind of laughing because I told her I was feeling a little guilty because I have been keeping my horses blanketed more this winter. And the reason isn't because... For their comfort, it's so that when I want to go ride, I just can pull the blanket off, put on the saddle and go ride them. I don't need to spend an hour cleaning each of the horses up if I'm riding with my junior so that we can go ride for 45 minutes, you know, because we were spending more time getting the horses ready than we were spending actually riding them. And, and, you know, and so she says, oh, no, that's no problem. It's just it's, you know, of course, you don't want to leave the blankets on on the 
sunny, warm days where it's warming up to 40 or 50 degrees. But, you know, it's still been quite cold and windy and storming. And so I'm kind of, she helped me relieve a little bit of my guilt for for leaving the blankets on him more than I usually would. But it's just, uh, you know, you spend too much time getting him cleaned up, getting all the mud off of him. Well, why don't we talk so, about uh, any upcoming events, if there are any, or where people can find out what's happening in the spring. Well, for endurance rides coming up, just go to aerc.org and look up the ride calendar. And you can look by region or state and select rides in your area and see what's on the calendar. And there's rides being added all the time as they're you know, usually sanctioned probably three to six months in advance. So, you 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 know, there'll be some rides that aren't posted yet for later in the year, and they'll be popping up soon. Um, but quite a few of the rides are already listed, especially the ones that are coming up in the next couple months. And uh, there are also some upcoming clinics. I know Crystal um, was going to tell us about a little bit about some of the clinics up in her area that, uh, that she helps work on. And... AARC also helps uh, support the Endurance 101 and 201 clinics. And again, you can go to the AARC.org website and look under the education link to find some. There is one coming up in ECTRA, the Eastern Competitive Trail Riding Association. They're having their annual convention the weekend of February 3rd and 5th at the Foxboro Regency in Boxboro, Massachusetts. And the speakers there will be both speaking for several hours are going to be Susan Garlinghouse, who is a veterinarian, and John Crandall. Before. Yes, yes, a couple times. And also John Crandall, who is a well-known and very successful endurance writer. And uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about Crystal, uh, where she comes from. It's the Ontario Competitive Trail Riding Association. They do have a website. If you just Google that, you'll find it up there in Canada. So you can check out. They have a very nice website, actually. So you can check out what their schedule is and uh, what things are coming up if you're wanting to do some competitive trail riding in Canada. Or endurance riding. They have some good educational links and information on their website, too. Terrific. Well, and of course, people can find you at uh, my name, KarenChatton.com. And don't forget that Karen has a ton of information that she's been putting on her blog over the years about endurance riding. Probably if there's a topic that you have a question about, she has answered it. Uh, and you started that blog, I think, when blogs first started. Is when, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's been going for several years now. Yes. That's an understatement, Karen. You're, you're, uh, but we don't want to date you. So we'll just say it's been a long time that she's, I know. <laughs> so KarenChatton.com is where you can find that. Of course, you can find all of the past episodes of the Endurance Show, which is, years worth now at horsesinthemorning.com just search for Karen Chat and her search endurance and it'll bring up all the past episodes you can also follow all the horses in the morning episodes on Facebook just search for horses in the morning and the easiest and best way to listen to all of our shows on the network which is going to be 12 now uh, is on the horse radio network app just go to iOS or Android the app store and search for horse radio network it's free it's easy to download and that's the simplest way to listen to our shows if you're into hunter jumpers at all or have an interest in that then the plaidcast has started as its own show last week you'll find that at horseradionetwork.com and it just got approved for itunes 
So you'll find the Plaidcast on iTunes now as well. And that's run by the Plaid Horse Magazine people. And, of course, they know a little bit about the Hunter Jumper world. And uh, the second episode of that will be coming out. That's a weekly show. And then, as I mentioned, the WEG show will be starting shortly for the World Equestrian Games in Tryon in 2018. We have a racing show starting in February. we got all kinds of things going on, Karen. Wow. So, wow. yeah, we have uh, all kinds of well, new stuff as well. Well, I, I just have one question for yeah. you, Glenn. What What is your cutoff limit temperature-wise for going out and doing something with your horse? About 60 degrees. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we live in Florida. It's chilly at 60 degrees. We have our winter coats out. I mean, now we have been chilly here, I have to say, for all of you that are mad at me right now. Uh, we, we were down to 32 the last two nights, and last night got down to 40. Uh, now, we won't mention that next week's supposed to be in the middle to high 70s and 50 degrees every night. Oh, so man. So we won't mention that. But yeah, about 60, 50, 50 degrees is the absolute cutoff where nothing happens in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, God. You asked. I just I tell know. the truth. <laughs> I know. Yeah, like a week or two ago, our high for the day was like 26 degrees was the high and it was like that for two or three days in a row everything of course was just frozen and so that's where i came up with the idea of the topic of talking about writing and these kinds of conditions because some of us you know if you've got rides coming up you need to kind of keep your horse worked regularly throughout the winter and so now we know it's the human that is the limiting factor right. here and not the horse <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. In most cases, uh, with any, not just riding in the winter, but riding period. <laughs> in most cases, it's a human. It kind of is. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate you stopping by for this endurance episode. Thank you, Karen. And we'll talk to you again next month. Thanks, Glenn. All right. We'll see you, everybody.